You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We are the Fantasy Joes. This is Ryan Livergood here. We're about to get into part two of our conversation with Matt Waldman. We're going to get into the 2019 rookie wide receivers. But before we do, a programming note. The NFL draft is almost upon us, my friends. And after the first night of the draft, Thursday night at about 1130 Eastern, we're going to go live. The Joes are going to go live on YouTube with a lot of friends of ours. People like John Bosch, Jake Anderson, Peter Howard, Shane Manila, Tyler Gee, Tim Torch, Paul Pertichese, Kyle Richardson, so many more people. They're going to join us, talk about how we feel about the draft, how it fits into a dynasty context. That's going to be Thursday night after the draft. You missed that show. It's going to drop as a podcast early Friday morning for your commute. Then on Saturday night, after the draft is over, we're going to do the same thing about 10 o'clock Eastern. Uh, same cast of characters, same friends in the Dynasty community are going to join us. And we're going to talk about the Dynasty implications of the 2019 NFL Draft. We'll do mocks. We'll have a lot of fun. And if you miss that show, that will also be available for you late Sunday for your Monday morning commute. So check out the Drafter Party this year. We're looking forward to it. But right now, let's get to part two of the Joe's Conversation with Matt Waldman. Let's get into 2019 rookie wide receivers, shall we? So, Matt, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> kind of similar to the question I asked um, about the running back position, as we shift over to wide receivers, I, I know there's some wide receivers that you're a little higher on than than consensus, and um, I, I wanted to just ask, uh, just like with running back, which which wide receiver do you think has the most to gain, <clears throat> not as much on your your board, but where where people are valuing them going into the NFL draft. Uh, I know landing spot is typically a little bit more um, impactful at the running back position, uh, but, but for the wide receivers, which wide receiver maybe, and maybe it's <clears throat> a combination of landing spot and them going higher in the NFL draft. Like I think about Dante Pettis last year. Uh, and I think about the fact that, I, you know, he, he was going in, you know, like the mid two hundreds, I think in ADP in March last year. And then in August, he was like in the, you know, mid to high 100s. Um, and now he's like in the top 80, right? And I think a lot of that had to do with one, that he was your number one ranked wide receiver. And two, I think when the 49ers traded up um, and, and selected him, you know, th- those are two major things for me that get my attention. When a player goes in the top 50 picks of the NFL draft and, and, and when you know, just like with Alvin Kamara, when it, when a team gives up a substantial piece on top of the pick they're using to select the player. So who's the guy that you think this year could kind of skyrocket up the the draft boards in, in fantasy leagues at the wide receiver position based on what happens in the NFL draft? If you had to put on your, you know, get your, get your Nostradamus cap on. Okay, well, you know, I think – there's a lot of richness up at the top of this class. So I think a guy that has probably flown under the radar a good bit, and I've talked about him a good bit, so I don't need to go into his, like, what he's like. But Stanley Morgan Jr. Um, hasn't been really on the draft radar at all. Um, but there are a lot of people that do appreciate his route running. You know, Brad Kelly over at the Draft Network. I saw something today where he also mentioned that 
He thought Stanley Morgan Jr. was one of the best route runners in this class. Um, and he's always been a strong prospect. The guys over at Saturday to Sunday have also done a good job talking about Morgan. And he's a top 10 receiver for me in this particular class. I see him as a, a, you know, a good, very good technician with a lot better quickness and acceleration than people understand. Um, and that it's on the level that's, you know, let's put it this way. Debo Samuels, um, 20 shuttle, which is acceleration, really acceleration in some change of direction, 4.14, which is one of the best, you know, other than miles Boykin is one of the best marks in from the combine at that position. Stanley Morgan ran a 4.13. So he was faster in that regard. Um, Debo Samuel, 7.03 change of direction in three cone drill. Well, Stanley Morgan, 6.78. That's a very slot receiver-like change of direction skill. And that says a lot more about route running than, say, the 40 time. Then around a 4.53 340, that's fine. Nothing unbelievable, but you're not looking for him to be a, a deep threat. You're looking for him to be a possession threat who can get deep, you know, with play action and certain types of routes that are longer developing, which means he's more of a high-volume type of player who can make big plays after the catch. And fantasy players like that and teams like that. They like guys also who can block. They also like guys who are tough and who are consistent. And he's all of those things. So I could see how Stanley Morgan gets like a third, fourth, fifth round pick, winds up on a team that, you know, starts hearing good things about him. And they go, you know what? We might have him start kind of like a player I liked it out of Clemson last year who went to the Colts, who I had rated a lot higher than everyone else by the name of Deion Kane. Who they said we're going to make him a starter. We're going to—he's likely to have a shot to be the starter this year. And if he keeps playing like he is, he will be our opening day starter. And then he got hurt. Um, but you know, that's that's the kind of thing. I think that Morgan has a chance to be that riser. He—he uh, he only. I think quick, like a quick look back at uh, the NFL Combine results. He only lost out to you know another. Uh, fan favorite of the Joes and specifically Trey Barrett, that'd be Miles Boykin. Yeah. Yep. And Boykin, it was the true combine wonder. If you <laughs> look at the total yeah. numbers there. So, and Boykin yeah, was a fantastic right. prospect. I, you know, definitely compliment you guys on your taste on that guy. And, and, and I think Morgan, Morgan is a guy that he just has been overlooked. I think more than anything else. He's just, he, a lot of people say he's just a guy. And, and, and when you say that in, in you know scouting circles that the guy's a jag that he's just a guy um that's not usually very complimentary but you know what they thought you know i like players i don't look at because i don't give the super duper bonus points for athletic ability you know i mean i give certain credence to that for sure i take that very seriously but i don't over inflate it and as a result of that guys like marvin jones who are seen as just a guy have value for me in ways that maybe other people didn't. And that's why, you know, Stanley Morgan isn't Marvin Jones are kind of different players, but they're both kind of average height, average weight, you know, not unbelievably fast, but really quick, good change of direction, rugged and technically consistent. And those guys, when you fantasy leagues, you know, it's not just about because everyone Everyone has a top player or a stud on their team. You know, maybe they have two or three studs on their team, but the guys who make the difference that make your team really consistent, highly high scoring, are the guys like Marvin Jones that you get in the mid rounds who you pick up because you have a clue about that they can 
give you the type of production that's on par with those starters from week to week. Do you think Marvin Jones goes for over a thousand yards a season? Yes, I think he does. Um, because I think that as good as Kenny Galladay is getting, um, I think that the Lions still are pretty awful and they're going to have to throw the ball a lot. <laughs> and I think that Marvin Jones, with his contested catch rate and his route running, he's still one of the best route runners in the league. And he still makes, he's still one of the best at contested catch rates. So Matthew Stafford is fearless in being able to throw the ball in that way. And Stafford was hurt last year. Stafford got, I mean, it wasn't made official, but. You saw that Jets game, the way he got crushed when they made the mistakes that they did in the Monday night game. He was hurt from that point on. I mean, it was pretty obvious. And I won't be surprised if we hear, you know, in preseason about how he played hurt all year long last year. Wasn't that like week one? Like, yes, it was week yeah, one. Because the Jets yeah. came down and were really giving those Detroit people a hard time. Yeah, they they crushed him, man. He got He took a hit, and I thought, that's it for him this year. And I was surprised he came back on the field. And, and ever since that point, he didn't play that well, and which was pretty much all year long. Um, but it was – you could tell he was hindered. And I think that um, they hid that on the injury report because I don't know why. Maybe they have a guy who thinks he's still coaching at the Patriots where they hide injuries like that. <laughs> Questionable always. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so moving on in wide receiver – uh, I want to talk about Jalen Hurd like slightly. You talked about him on the Saturday to Sunday podcast. Uh, I remember it's so again. This is a lot of things ring back to my college fandom, especially before he started in the Joes. But Jalen Hurd destroyed the Hawkeyes in a in a bowl game. That he had like three touchdowns and over a hundred yards. I just remember I was traveling and reading these updates, and I was like, I was like Jalen Hurd, Jalen Hurd. I was like, like God darn it, what is going on? Like, and then I read that he's six four. Who? What other running back is six four? And, 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 you know, is putting up these kind of things in college. Uh, maybe a couple quick points on him and then to, you know, you know pivot with that. The, the differences that you're going to point out, and I'm going to use two receivers as an example, and you don't have to use them only, but, like, Hakeem Butler versus Andy Isabella, because both of them have varying levels of opinions and, and let's say, momentum around them coming into the draft. So – that's okay. a lot. I, I sent a lot. Okay. I, it's kind of one of my habits. I that's have okay. a lot of questions at once. So. That's okay. We'll do the best we can. And if I slip <laughs> up, you'll remind me what I need to do. Yeah. Um, you're, you'll be my guide. But um, I, think the, I think the first part of that is, um, is trying to remember who the first question oh, Jaylen was. Jalen Hurd. That's right. Okay. Ryan is a hand sizest. Okay. Um, which will lead to another question later. But anyway. Okay. So, yeah. Let's start with Jalen Hurd. He has 10 inch hands. There yeah. are some big mitts. Yeah, let's start with him. Um, the good thing about Jalen Hurd is that he really has fashioned himself into a technically promising wide receiver. He's not completely there yet, but the, one of the most important parts about route running is being able to take that drive step, which is that single long step into a hard break that leads into dropping your weight. You know, it almost looks like you're sitting in a chair. If you're sitting in a chair right now um, with your back straight and you and where you're at, Basically, you're at the apex part of, of, of a hard break. That's where you've decelerated fully, and that's what the receiver looks like that they're doing if you freeze the frame. And if you can do that, you can run the most difficult routes in football, um, and especially when you take that one long drive step because if you can take that one step into doing that, you've suddenly you've made it a very efficient stop and forced the cornerback who's playing off for you or on top of you to keep running down the field. Because stopping faster is more important than running faster with route running. 
And so the fact that if you can do that properly and take that one long violent step, because you have to be able to run fast with your stem to get the cornerback to turn his hips and think I'm going deep. You know, you got to sell that deep route so that when you can sell that deep route and pull the road runner and stop and make Wiley Coyote basically run off the cliff, you know, you've decelerated successfully. And that's part of the being able to, to do that. And um, Jalen Hurd can do that. He's getting there. He's, he's showing that sometimes he has to take multiple steps with the drive step and gather steps a little bit, but he has the hips to be able to drop his weight, the knee bend to drop his weight and the ankle flexion to do that as well as flip his hips and turn on speed routes, which are routes that are like, you know, where basically you do what they call a karaoke step, which is basically kind of a crossover step um, where your hips turn and you can point the toe towards the sideline and you get a really flat break. So technically he's, he's in a position where he can develop as a route runner. Um, and he's done that very well. He's, he has the athleticism in terms of the speed and the acceleration to win. He catches the ball pretty well. Um, I think that he has some drops, but they're mostly concentration oriented. Um, he uses the correct technique most of the time. Um, so that's good. And you can use him as a running back still. He's actually gotten better as a running back because of the fact that he had to work so much on his footwork because he was more of kind of a power guy who flopped around with his footwork at times and was sloppy. And, and, and sometimes he would um, not be in precise position to be able to take advantage of um, creases. Um, but now he looks quicker, more decisive when he runs. His cuts are much more sharper. And I think that's the, the kind of the ancillary benefit of, of really working as hard as he did as a wide receiver. And I think that he can, he's going to start off as kind of a slot guy, but can probably work his way to being an outside um, receiver in the NFL. And I'm excited about him. I think he's one of those guys that will be drafted in, in late day two or early day three and will wind up being a starter. It's, it's one of the things. Uh, so he left Tennessee because he had the concussion there as a running back. As a 6'4 running back, I feel like you're going to be more prone if you're, you know, if you're trying to run lower and you're running against guys who are going to be shorter than you. And if that'll translate to the NFL, if he'll be like, okay, I, I'm willing to take carries, but not this, you know, X amount and how much that kind of paycheck and overall team environment plays in. And I just hope he doesn't get dinged up early. That's yeah. my, my, my concern with him is yeah, I, th- I, think I want to be good. excited. Yeah, I think he's going to be used more as a wide receiver. I think he's convinced. I think he's been very convinced. He wanted to be a wide receiver from the get-go. Tennessee didn't want to. Sorry to any Tennessee volunteer fans out there. I'm not really a college football fan, but let's just put it this way. Tennessee's been a screwed-up program for a while. They haven't had good coaching. Um, Their coaching staff and the way they've done things has been kind of sketchy for a while now, and there's been a lot going back with that. And there's a bitter kind of divorce between Hurd and that that coaching staff. And, and so they put a lot on him, making him seem like he was a malcontent, even though he never missed a, he, I don't think he missed time um, and played hurt a lot. And they had guys like Kamara behind him and John Kelly behind him. And, um, you know, and he went in and he did the work. He shut his mouth, went to Baylor, took all the bad stuff about him and came out looking like a receiver. Who's always been a receiver. And that's a big deal. I'm excited about him because of that, who can just happen to play a little running back. But Butler, Butler and Isabella and where they're going. If there's a player I'm going to miss on probably this year, it'll probably be the Andy, Andy Isabella, but I just didn't see it. I know that a lot of people love the speed. They love the quickness. They love the ability that, you know, and then they cite things like the production that he had against some big teams. Well, I watched him against Georgia and 
I was not excited about what he did against Georgia. He just basically got behind the defense late in game and had a big play or two. Um, but when you watch him actually run routes, he wastes a lot of motion. He's one of those fancy players who kind of does a lot of the playground moves, but by the time they, they get open, the quarterback sacked. You know, Braxton Miller was one of those guys. I remember being at the Senior Bowl, and you could have just – everyone was talking about Braxton Miller. They were just like, God, did you see the move he put on that guy in the red zone drill? Did you see the move that he did in his one-on-ones there? Did you see how he did that? Wow, he's going to be awesome. He is going to be a fine. He's going to be rocking up boards. And I kept thinking, he wasted so much space and so much time. You have to be efficient. You have to be efficient when you get off the line. You can have a couple of moves, but you got to be working downhill towards that. You got to be able to handle contact. You have to be able to handle physical play and not get distracted. Not that he's scared of physical play. He's just, he, he gets distracted by it because it kind of takes him off course a little bit. And you can see the way that he moves trying to meet people. He's trying to get a defender to make a really wild false move. And then he gets uphill or gets downhill on him. A guy like Penny Hart, who's not even talked about all that much out of Georgia State, when he was at the Senior Bowl doing the same, you know, doing the same drills, he was scaring the piss out of these guys because he was essentially um, getting downhill and using efficient moves. And when they tried to put their hands on him, he was physical enough to not even not worry about it and be able to make plays. You could tell that the defensive backs were scared to face um, Penny Hart. Andy Isabella, they were getting beat, but it was kind of like it was mostly the impatient guys, the patient cornerbacks, which most, most, of, most good cornerbacks in the NFL are patient who, who start. They're going to look at that and go, quit dancing, kid. You know, this isn't dance fever. You can, uh, you know, you're going to have to do something a little bit better here. So I don't think Andy Isabella is anything more than a slot receiver. Doesn't mean that he can't be a really good slot receiver in the NFL. But to say that he's like Marquise Brown, who's going to be able to play outside and deliver for you. Well, yeah, if you got Drew Brees and a bunch of other weapons and he can be your Lance Moore and get sneak behind a defense and win on a wide-open play-action play, sure, that'll happen. And then you'll have people slap each other on the back about how, how good he is. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen often enough. I think he's, I think he's a good but not great prospect, um, whereas Hakeem Butler can play all three positions. Hakeem Butler can be physical. Hakeem Butler can beat – you know, unfortunately, beat the Iowa Hawkeyes' fine defensive backfield on whip routes and force them to have to interfere with, you know, interfere and tackle him before he catches the ball, which was probably the smartest move they made, you know, in that situation, knowing that they got beat like that. But he he does everything well. The only thing he doesn't do is drop the ball. He drops the ball on occasion a little bit more often than he should. And people misunderstand that too. In context, it's, you know, dropping the ball, there's three different ways you drop the ball. Two of them are bad. One of them is not as bad. And he does the not as bad on a regular basis. And people go, well, why is, if they're all bad, why are you trying to contextualize them like that? That just sounds stupid. Well, let's just put it to you this way. You're learning how to drive. And you, you, Trey, have you ever had to teach anyone how to drive? Yet? Not yet. Okay. I've had to take my – I've yet. had to – not yet. Okay. I've had to teach my daughter how to drive. She's in boot camp right now and in Marine boot camp right now, but I had to teach her how to drive. Okay. And the way you look at it is like this. There are certain types of errors that you're scared about and you have to say, we got to go back to the parking lot and you can't go more than five miles an hour or 
these are things that I can just say, watch out and be careful of that next time. So you don't get us killed. Um, and there's differences between those things. One is like, and, and, and it's the same way with catching the ball, you have technique oriented issues, which is, you know, are you using the correct hands technique, um, for the ball, um, to where the ball is located. That's correctable with a good bit of work, but you need to put a good bit of work into it. And I would say that's kind of like, um, maybe, making sure that you get your motor skills right on make sure that you're pressing the, the brake rather than the gas pedal. You know, it, it can really do a lot of damage if you're out on the street driving a car and teaching someone and they can't tell the difference between which one they're using. Um, and that's probably, but that's usually fairly correctable, but you go back to the parking lot and you, you work on gas brake, gas brake until <laughs> they're confident enough that you know that they're going to get on the street and, and when they have a situation, they're not going to hit the gas by accident. Um, then there's the focus one where, you know, your kids, your kids listening to the radio or trying to talk to you and looking at you and the stop signs there and you got to go, there's a stop sign right there, stop, you know, and then she'll hit the brake and, and it'll be fine. But she might run through the stop sign otherwise because she's distracted. That's basically concentration drops that Hakeem Butler has. And that's really his problem. It's Trio had that problem. Chad Johnson had that problem. Brandon Marshall had that problem. And in essence, if you're good enough, it's not really a problem. It's just a minor annoyance. Um, you know, in the same way that you drive with someone who occasionally scares you because they're looking over here while they're having the conversation with you and you're like, dude, you can just keep your eye on the road. And they're like, oh yeah, sorry about that. Whereas, you know, tr ball tracking is a major problem. That's kind of like someone who knows how to hit the brake, but they don't know how much pressure to put on it. And they keep rolling you in the middle of the intersection with the gas truck coming, barreling down from the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sammy Coates was that kind of driver. You know, uh, Quincy Anunwa was more the one who didn't know how to hit the gas or the brake and then needed to have the, uh, needed to have the, um, jugs machine and work out in the parking lot with the jugs machine for a while and you got it together. Akeem Butler's more the guy that occasionally gets distracted because his favorite song came on the radio and he wants to tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, because he also is in that past Iowa game, he dropped that fourth down. It was like a fourth down play at the end of the game, which didn't necessarily lose him. It was a boring like 13 to 3 or something game overall. But yeah, I remember seeing him in 2017 the year before and I was like, oh man, this guy's going to be good. And I uh, looked him up, and he grew up with the Harrison twins who both went to Kentucky. And his life story isn't easy, but his life story is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and when you grow up around elite athletes like that, I mean, obviously he's playing center. So, you know, and that, that doesn't translate anymore to college in the NBA. Everybody wants three-point shooters. So he's like, well, I guess he should probably learn to play football. Uh, and then ends up at Iowa State. You know, it ends up that, – so that kind of, you know, person too, I feel like is, is not similar to an Alan Lazard as far as a long-term producer. but the same kind of thing, you know, Purdy, who was throwing to them in Iowa State, was, a, I think, a true freshman at the time. They saw the other quarterback, like, you're coming from a scheme where you're not getting bullets thrown at you, basically. And so I think you're going to see, it, if he goes highly in the draft and if you take him early, don't, don't get upset when he drops a couple, like, darts over the middle, you know, early in the season. That's the, yeah. the butler I'd kind of expect. And he still has your – I mean – I'm not, I, I've been trying my best not to give away too much of the RSP. So read the RSP and then get your opinion about Butler. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just, it's worth it. Thank you. Matt, I wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts on Preston Williams. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy, you know, talking about Tennessee. Started out his, um, I, I believe he initially went to University of Tennessee 
um, and ended up at Colorado State. And, and obviously, you know, I, I think people that have heard of him, you know, probably have heard that one of the things, one of the big concerns with him is the off the field stuff. There, there was an incident back in 2017 involving his girlfriend. And, you know, I, I think, you know, especially now with, with the Kareem Hunt incident and the, you know, recent Tyreek Hill question marks, uh, you know, there, there's obviously an, an increased sensitivity, I think, to the off the field stuff. Even Joe Mixon, I think there was some concerns coming into the league. So look, for a guy like Preston Williams, obviously he's probably not going to be picked in the top three, maybe even four rounds. He's probably going to be relegated to the, you know, fifth or sixth round. I'm guessing that with his talent, um, that some team's going to be willing to give him a shot in the draft somewhere. But what, what do you think his prospects are? And, and what do you think, obviously, staying, you know, out of trouble off the field is going to be priority number one for him. But but what do you look to see? What do you, did, Is he a guy that, that really is going to kind of fit into most teams' plans? And as far as landing spot, are there a few teams or, or systems that you think he'd fit best in um, other than, you know, finding somewhere that can hopefully help him grow and mature as a, as a, as a man. Well, I think he can be a good flanker for a team. Um, and he's, and the best way that I would put it is that um, if AJ green is like the luxury model of, you know, the player that he is in terms of style, Preston Williams is kind of like the starter kit version. You know, he's, he can be a starter. He probably won't ever be an all pro. Maybe he can develop into that, but He's, you know, he's very good at adjusting to the ball. He catches the ball very well. He's good at after the catch at breaking tackles and finding open space. I think he's a very good route runner or developing as a good route runner. Um, so he's someone that definitely has starter potential in the league. Now, in terms of the, in terms of the off field, you know, listen, I think we all, it's good that we all have increasing sensitivity about domestic violence issues um, or violence against women. And, and I certainly, you know, and one of the things that I've done on my podcast is I had Daniel Simpkins on my show. Daniel Simpkins is a writer of football guys, but what he does in his day job is that he is a licensed therapist and he counsels people who have done some things that are, you know, that are along the lines of this domestic violence, abuse, you know, assault, things of that nature. He's dealt with those people on a regular basis. Um, and one of the things that he's talked with me about and what we've kind of both wanted to impart to our audience was that each of these cases can often be different and they can be different in degree of, of um, the impact that those people, have, you know, the impact on the victim as well as the impact in terms of um, how these people can grow. And so when you look at Preston Williams, I don't know what he did. I don't know what else was done in addition to that to may have add, add to his character as a, as something that's a risk. But the, from what I read of the police report was he got in an argument with his girlfriend. His girlfriend wanted to leave the house. He tried to hold her in the doorway and keep her from leaving so that he could keep trying to talk to her. That's not right. Not trying to minimize that not trying to tell you that he should have done that. Um, but at the same time, is that the same as what Greg Hardy did to his wife? Is that the same as what D.D. Westbrook did by kicking his pregnant, pregnant um, girlfriend in the stomach? 
Is it the same as what Tyree Kill did when he tried to strangle his pregnant girlfriend? You know, could one have led to the other? Yes, but that's a slippery slope to kind of go in that direction. After the argument, Preston Williams tried to contact his girlfriend. Now, not that this was right either, but trying to call your girlfriend and leave, you know, 200 messages on her phone is kind of scary, you know, for anybody. But at the same time, whether it's right or wrong, in our common society, we look at comedies and romances and we hear that we see that exact same thing happen where people aren't violent offenders, but leave multiple messages, even hundreds of messages on the phone to someone they've been fighting with. Um, so when I look at these things, I'd say, is there, was there potential for him to commit a more violent crime? Was it a cons- Yes, possibly. Do we punish him for that? No. But do we punish him for what he did that was inappropriate and that was wrong? Absolutely. And I think that's what happened. You know, and he did get counseling, I believe, that it was mandated. I believe that his, you know, his teammates, for whatever you want to believe or not, his coaching staff said that he, when he came to Colorado State, he was pretty sketchy. When he ended leaving at Colorado State, he was a completely different guy. Is that something that people want to believe? They don't. But most of the people who I know don't want to believe that have either never been through anything that they've had to change seriously at because they're young. Um, and there's no crime for being young. It just means you're a little inexperienced with life. And, and, and I promise some of you who are younger, who may be skeptical of that, that within the next five or six years in young human years, it's going to feel like you've aged about 10 to 15 years. Um, <laughs> and you are going to feel like a completely different person at times um, than you were when you were younger. Um, and so I try to give a little bit more, benefit of the doubt to younger people if you see them doing the work that they're supposed to have done. So I think teams are going to do the same thing with him. Um, even though they're very PR worried about certain things, you're going to see them probably say, yeah, we'll take a chance on him in the fifth to sixth or seventh round. And especially if the team goes, well, how can you do that after Tyree Kill and Kareem Hunt will say, well, because he never, if I'm correct about this, I may be wrong, but from what I remember reading, well, he never hit, anyone he never struck anyone what he did was stupid and wrong but he he didn't really do anyone harm um he 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 was the threat of harm which is still serious but we feel like that because he was able to restrain himself from doing something much worse we feel like that it's a different situation even though a serious one and so i like him as a prospect and i think that he'll be a good value later on in the draft I think that, you know, there's probably a good good possibility that Sonny Weaver Jr. is going to want to know if his teammates went to his birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. very true. But most big... NFL owners are like his owner who were like, we want to make a splash. Who cares what That's the scouts right. say? Just make a splash. Yeah. That's right. Now, nah, he's he's a guy I'm rooting for. I You know, he's kind of a peripheral guy. He, he's not a guy that I've heard talked about actually really at all on on kind of the prime, you know, dynasty football podcast I've been listening to and um, I'm always rooting for anyone that you know has has been through a challenge or an event I mean obviously I'm I'm not saying I'm rooting for for people that have you know committed domestic abuse but like you said he he didn't you know what he was guilty of was some poor decisions but 
but not, you know, actually assaulting someone. And so you hear something like that for someone that's got such talent and, and promise. And then you hear, like you said, that, you know, his teammates have spoken very highly of him at Colorado State. And, you know, you, you, you see a glimpse that maybe the guy can kind of turn, turn things around. Um, it was kind of the same way for Antonio Callaway last year. You know, you, you kind of hoped, obviously, you know, going up to Cleveland and being around Josh Gordon with all of the, the demons that he's faced wasn't an exciting. But, you, you know, you just hope to these guys that the, the opportunity that they are afforded getting a shot to play in the NFL is an opportunity of a lifetime that, you know, there's uh, millions of kids that, you know, grow up playing sports that never get that opportunity. So I'm always, I'm always cheering for someone like that to continue to turn things around and, and, you know, have some success in the league. Absolutely. For sure. So I'm going to skip the the Iowa tight end question because thank God. Lordy knows everybody, uh, you know, why is T.J. Hackinson so great? Well, because he's awesome at everything. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's not a five- or ten-minute conversation. Yeah. So what I would like to know, let's give – let's maybe, you know, maybe a little deep deep in the – I'm going to use pocketbook, but let's just say like, maybe like deep in the back pocket. One player from last year, and you can't use Dante Pettis. I'm ruling him out. Uh, okay. Who maybe didn't put up a bunch of stats from last year that you're still high on for fantasy reasons, moving into 2019, maybe a rookie, you can even go 2017, who hasn't shown enough yet uh, to, to really flash that you think would be a value for, you know, the millions and millions of fantasy Joe listeners to pick up. Well, I think Deion King would be a good example and, um, as that player. I think that he's going to still get an opportunity in Indianapolis. They may get another um, wide receiver in there, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Deion King – comes back at full health that he could wind up being a big play wide receiver too in that um, ever improving Indianapolis Colts offense, you know, combined with Andrew Luck. So he's a guy I would definitely be holding on to and being excited about because they were even talking about him at the combine is like, well, he's going to have to start over in terms of competition. You know, he's going to have to prove it all over again that he can be a starter, but we were really excited about what we had last year. That says to me, yeah, we're probably going to draft another guy because we need more depth at the wide receiver position. But as long as you come back healthy and ready to go, we're going to count on you. Perfect. That's basically exactly what we're looking for. Go and pick up Deion Kane, except not in the leagues that I'm in. I'll take him. Okay. The Matt Waldman special. Anything else you want to add for tonight? No, I just appreciate you guys having me on. I mean, this is, you know, I, I know that you guys mentioned that I've been on other podcasts and I certainly have been on a fair share of them, but it's, I'm very fortunate that I get a chance to do this. And, and, you know, and I want to thank those who, you know, who request me having me on. And I want to thank you guys for having, thinking about having me on. And I hope that, you know, that the conversations are good enough that that continues to happen. Yeah. And Matt, can you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find, we've talked about this RSP and, and maybe, you know, they, this is the first time they've heard of it and maybe they've been living under a rock. Sure. Um, for the last you know few weeks but but maybe just tell them how they can access this and, and and maybe even talk a little bit about I know you you know send a certain portion of the funds to an organization sure. I think it'd be great to to mention that as well sure you know you can get the RSP at mountwaldman.com and and that's the sale page that I use right now um, I'm kind of in the midst of a rebranding process I just moved so you can see that all my boxes are still packed up here because I moved about two months ago and I just I had to finish writing the RSP, so I didn't even unpack. Um, 
But the, the mattwaldman.com has a video tour of past RSPs and post drafts. So you can look and really see what's in it. Um, um, but you, with that RSP, um, you, you know, you get rankings, you get, you know, skill breakdowns for each of the players. You get a chance to see my entire grading system and how that's set up. So if you even want to learn a little bit about scouting or learn a little bit about, you know, how to look for, um, how to look at players, you can do that through this publication. There are guys who, who do that, um, in terms of, you know, there are people who've done that, who've told me they've gotten jobs with, you know, college teams. Um, and, and I got an email from someone who is at an SEC team who was at the combine last year, who basically said they learned what they learned, what they knew about football from doing, um, looking at my RSP boiler rooms on my YouTube channel, as well as, um, reading the RSP. And they, in fact, they were complimented by the staff for their knowledge of the game. Um, so they wrote me from the combine, tell me that and said that they, they thought about writing me because there were a couple of scouts, um, who were talking about the work and, and about my work and that they, that they were complimentary of it. And, um, I'll just say that they were, they, they were scouts for a team that, um, are pretty happy with the choice that they made um, a couple of years ago, um, that has paid off handsomely and I'll just keep it at that. Um, but the, uh, but the, um, you know, that, that RSP comes with a post draft as we talked about, comes with the newsletter, and um, you can get it at mattwaldman.com. You get it for $21.95. It's downloadable on PDF only. Um, and it's by PayPal only, um, but easy to do. You know, if you have any issues with it, you can email me and I'll get back with you in usually about 24 hours, usually less than that. And 10% of every sale goes to Darkness to Light. Darkness to Light is an organization devoted to preventing sexual abuse of children um, through training programs for individuals, for schools, for companies, for civic organizations like police departments or fire departments or, you know, softball teams, whatever, you know, little leagues, little leagues, things like that, so that people can become certified in this, so that they understand how to spot potential predators and grooming behaviors, um, how to prevent that from happening. And then also, you know, it's going to happen because oftentimes this behavior is, it's a very awkward subject for most people. I find that when I do talk sweet about this, I don't get many likes about it, but the people who do particularly give me feedback usually are people who've been affected by this and they're very passionate about being able to, you know, are thankful that this is being discussed. And it's understandable. It's a, an awkward issue because unfortunately one of the biggest, the biggest perpetrators are usually people, you know, it's not the stranger danger in the van kind of person. It's usually the aunt, the uncle, the mother, the father, the sister, brother, or the family friend who seems to be the most trusted and cool person that you know. And that's what makes it such a insidious kind of problem that needs to be, you know, people need to be trained about and understand. Um, and so one of the things that they also do is that invariably because these people are so trusted who end up violating this trust, Oftentimes, you have to also be trained on how to deal with it when it does occur. And Darkness to Light does that as well. So the damage isn't compounded because obviously those people who are so trusted, you know, oftentimes the people who have been abused are afraid, you know, of what's going to happen if they tell or they, they're afraid they're not going to be believed. And oftentimes they're not. 
Um, and then you have the organizations that deal with it. And we saw with Penn State or with Michigan State what happened in recent years because they didn't know how to deal with it in the appropriate way. Um, so Darkness to Light has actually been involved with Penn State since then to help train and do the work that they've done. Um, and it was one of the reasons why um, I got involved with um, giving money to this organization was when that scandal broke out. And I've certainly known people in my life, unfortunately, we all probably do, even whether we're aware of it or not, who have been victims of this. Um, and you can see the devastation that it can create if it's, if it's not something where someone can really do the work to work through that. Um, and so, and there are a lot of people that have, and, and it's, and, and that's great. And they can go on and live very, very healthy lives. Um, but it is a, it is a very difficult subject and I'm proud to be, I've been giving money to them since, um, I think 2011, 2012, whenever Penn State's scandal broke out. So, uh, you know, 10% for each sale goes to that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. Amazing. And, uh, we, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us. We, man, I, I love your insight. Not, not, not only from the podcast, but from the RSP. I mean, for those who haven't purchased this, I mean, it, it's a, a over a thousand pages and just you, the, the depth of information available about each player and, and then even kind of your thoughts on where they might or should be drafted in fantasy drafts. I, I mean, it's, tons of, you know, we talk about having actionable information that we can utilize as fantasy owners. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, my knowledge every year of these players grows and it, I find myself referring back to it. And, you know, when it was coming out this year, I was excited, not just to see where you had guys ranked and what you had to say about them, but also how they compared to guys from last year and the year before. And, um, your insight on, on the podcast as well is fantastic. You are, you know, far and away one of our favorite guests. The okay, stories you. that you tell, that you know, the, you know, the experience. And Matt, we have a, we have like a thousand guests a year, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're in we're in high demand. So uh, anyway, man, we we really appreciate your time and and uh, love love always love chatting with you and maybe maybe we'll you know shoot to have you back on sometime maybe late summer after the draft has occurred and things have calmed down a little bit and, and, and maybe reflect back on, on some of the, some of the things we learned in the NFL draft. And obviously that event alone has such a big impact on where these players are going to be valued for fantasy specifically based on the landing spot and draft capital of these guys. So uh, thanks again. We, we really, really appreciate your time. It's, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, and, and, you know, anybody who's listening who hasn't gotten the RSP, um, yeah, I'll just say to you, just let me know what you think. Most people, I, and I say this as immodestly as I can, um, immodestly as I can, is it's, um, it's usually, people are usually shocked at what they get. When they first get it, they're, they're excited. Even if they're excited about it or just not sure about it, either way, they're usually like, I had no idea this is what I was going to get for this. And they're usually like, after that, the responses are either I'm blown away or you need to charge five times more than you do or something of that nature, um, you know, when it, when it comes about it. So I'm always interested in what people think when they're new to, to what the RSP does. And, and as you mentioned, you know, I'm not perfect with how I'm looking and rating these players. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm learning just like everybody else. I've just been doing it a little bit longer than a lot of people in this sphere. But what Trey just mentioned is that you, you get a chance to see how that process evolves. 
And my goal is trying to identify what the player can and can't do, not necessarily whether or not he's going to be the number five running back or the number one running back. Now, if you're going to see me, you're going to hear me advertise and, and brag about that I had Nick Chubb number one overall when everyone said Saquon <laughs> Barkley, you bet your ass I'm going to do that. You know, in the same way that I would do that with Patrick Mahomes. I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I'm also going to let you know when I said, you know, I hope Chad Kelly overcame his demons and, and I think that he can be one of the best quarterbacks in this class. And while I might say to you, well, you know, his demons got up, caught up with him, but he looked like he showed some promise there. But I, ultimately, that didn't work. Or Jamal Williams, I, you know, I, I was, I overprojected his athletic ability to an extent and didn't quite work out. Yeah, that happens too. But I think you'll you'll see more hits than misses of impact. Um, you know, and I think that in addition to that, you see someone who's staying consistent with their voice and what they do, and and because of that, you can kind of get a better gist of um, where I stand with things, and that helps you make decisions. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fantasy Joes. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I am Ryan Livergood. You can find us on Twitter, at FFJoes on Twitter. Please become Patreon supporters. You can become a Patreon supporter, get special episodes of the podcast. That's patreon.com slash fantasyjoes. And join us Thursday night after the NFL draft. Join the drafter party. That starts at 1130 Eastern. If you miss it, for your Friday morning commute after the draft, You'll have it. Check it out. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do so you don't miss that Draft Party episode. Same thing, Saturday night at about 10 Eastern. A lot of friends are going to join us. John Bosch, Jake Anderson, Peter Howard, Shane Manila, Tyler Gee, Tim Torch, Paul Pertichese, Kyle Richardson, so many more friends. That's the Draft Party, Saturday night, live on YouTube. You missed that? Check us out on Sunday or Monday morning on your commute after the 2019 NFL Draft. We'll have all the reaction that you want and need. We'll get you ready for your Dynasty Leagues, your rookie drafts, Dynasty implications. We're excited about it. The long wait is over, my friends, and the 2019 NFL Draft is almost upon us. Join us next week. We're pumped up, and we are the Fantasy Joes. When you talk about like raising the price too, like you could raise it a hundred percent and it would be like forty dollars. <laughs> like, <laughs> talking about, yeah, know, we're talking about raising the price. Oh, I'm gonna raise it twenty percent. Okay, now it's a thousand two hundred dollars. It's like, uh, so you're saying though, if, if if we all pitched in to the fantasy Joe's and collected all of our nickels and dimes and bought a fourth RSP that you wouldn't say fantasy Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd probably just say it for free because I like you guys, you know, I wouldn't, you wouldn't need to do that, you know, but, um,